As I told the children, we're almost, but not quite there. We are still looking toward tonight's celebration when the birth of Christ takes center stage in God's great drama of salvation, and we rejoice together. This morning, however, I want to talk about two people who probably should receive the Oscar for actor and actress in a supporting role. And I'm speaking, of course, about Mary and Joseph. At Christmas time, we tend to think of them sort of frozen in a tableau. When I was writing this, this message, I was sitting next to my piano, and I have a number of different nativity scenes on this piano. I, I, I run out of room. There are too many. Um, and in nearly all of them, Mary is dressed in a long gown and a veil, and she kneels or sits with her hands clasped in prayer, looking adoringly at the baby in the manger or maybe in her arms. A somewhat older Joseph, bearded and dressed in tunic and cloak, stands next to her, looking down at mother and child with an awestruck and somewhat puzzled expression on his face, like most new fathers. Um, <laughs> and that's how we think of them, just like that, as if they were always that way. But just like any parents, Mary and Joseph had lives B.C., before child. And I want to look back some nine months before Christmas and pick up their story then. So let's begin with Mary. We first meet her in the scripture that Krista read this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Mary lives in the town of Nazareth, a village in Galilee so small it doesn't even show up on first century maps far away from the centers of power in Jerusalem and Rome. She is, in all likelihood, very young, probably only 13 or 14 years old, really young in our eyes. Nevertheless, she is engaged to a man named Joseph. This would not have been a love match, but a marriage arranged by her parents when Mary reached puberty. At that time, a document called the Ketubah was drawn up, legally binding Mary and Joseph together as husband and wife, even though the wedding and subsequent consummation of the marriage would not take place for a year or two after that. The only way to break off the marriage at this point, because of that legal binding, was through divorce. Mary is still living in her mother's home, her parents' home, helping her mother with the household and perhaps caring for younger siblings, even though legally she is Joseph's wife. In other words, Mary is an ordinary young woman in living, living an ordinary life in an ordinary town, headed for an ordinary married life with Joseph. Ah, yes, Joseph. He's the one who stands quietly in the background. Even a donkey who is never mentioned in Scripture gets more attention than he does. <laughs> The only personal information we know about him, which isn't even mentioned in the birth stories, is that he was a carpenter. In the Greek, he's called a tecton, the word from which, which means that he worked in wood, but was not a master carpenter, an architecton, the word from which we get our word architect. He wasn't even a house builder because most houses there were made of stone. There wasn't enough wood to build houses from it. So Joseph probably made doors and maybe shutters for the house, made handles for farm tools, uh, made furniture. He was that kind of a carpenter. 
Tradition says that he was an old man, but there is nothing in the Gospels to indicate this. And my guess is that he was fairly young, perhaps just a little older than Mary. He would have served as an apprentice to his father and been able to demonstrate that he could support himself before he could get married. So that was all behind him. Why is Joseph so often portrayed as older? It seems that this view was uh, based on stories and gospels that were not included in the New Testament, stories that became legends and then tradition. And you know how powerful tradition is. In addition, an aging Joseph supported the concept that Mary remained a virgin her whole life, as if intimacy with her husband would somehow have made her less pure and less acceptable as the mother of God's son. Be that as it may. The most significant thing about Joseph, according to the Gospels, was not his age, but his genealogy. For he was a descendant of David, Israel's greatest king. And this was important because ancient Jewish prophecies said that the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, would come, would be descended from David's line. Aside from that accident of birth, however, Joseph seems to have been an ordinary young man, living an ordinary life in an ordinary town and engaged to an ordinary young woman named Mary. They were just an ordinary first-century Jewish couple until one day when something totally extraordinary happened. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she is favored and that God is with her. Interestingly enough, Mary does not appear to be unduly upset or frightened by this vision. In fact, Luke says that she was perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, in contrast to the image we often have of Mary, this young woman has a head on her shoulders. And she will need that strength. For what the angel has to tell her would blow anyone's mind. Don't be afraid, Gabriel says. Words that Adam Hamilton says usually are a clue that you really should be afraid. And then, you're going to have a baby. And not just any child, but the long-awaited Messiah. Wow! Mary responds to this stunning announcement with a very logical question. How can this be, since I am a virgin? When Gabriel tells her that the child will be conceived through the Holy Spirit, pointing out that nothing is impossible for God, Mary calmly responds with amazing faith and trust. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Joseph, on the other hand, did not react (laughs) so favorably to the angel and now Mary's news with faith. His response to her divine pregnancy presents us with a truth that we gloss over most of the time, that her pregnancy was a scandal that brought heartache and suffering. Remember that Joseph and Mary were legally married, a relationship that only could be ended by divorce. Since Joseph knew that they had not consummated the marriage, the only conclusion that he could draw was that Mary had been unfaithful to him. Imagine the sense of betrayal and hurt and even outrage that he must have felt, and in turn, Mary's own grief and pain and, yes, fear. Fear. 
fear because she knew the choice that Joseph had to make. He could either publicly denounce her, and it would have been very publicly, exposing her to great humiliation and shame at the very least, or he could quietly let it be known that he was the father of her child but no longer wanted to marry her, thus bringing dishonor on himself. A tough decision indeed. This crisis, however, shows us something of Joseph's character. When faced with this decision, he chooses to act with compassion and mercy. He decides to take the humiliation on himself in order to protect Mary. And it is perhaps this compassion that motivates God's own grace. For Joseph is also given an angelic visitation, albeit in a dream, that assures him that Mary is telling the truth, that the child she bears is of the Holy Spirit, and that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so when Joseph awakens, he too responds with amazing faith, for he does what the angel has told him and marries Mary, claiming the child that she bears as his own, and not just claiming it, but taking on the task along with Mary of raising this very special boy. Three thoughts. Catherine Matthew writes, God could have chosen to save the world to fulfill God's promises of old, all on God's old own. After all, nothing is impossible for God. It seems, however, that God wants humanity to be part of the effort, even though it makes things much more complicated and even difficult, which it does. God apparently is not interested in transforming our lives and the world without our participation. What's more, God chooses ordinary people like Mary and Joseph, people with challenges, people like you and me, to do extraordinary things. As David Lose notes, God did not choose a fairy tale princess to bear the Savior, but rather an unwed peasant girl. He didn't choose a political or a business success story to name and care for Jesus, but rather a man with his own doubts and questions who wanted to do the right thing but needed angelic guidance to accomplish it. It also seems to me that when God calls ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things, we are given the resources that we need. Though angels announced what was to happen, Mary and Joseph still had a choice. Barbara Brown Taylor writes that Mary had the choice whether to say yes to it or no, whether to take hold of the unknown the angel held out to her or whether to defend herself against it however she could. Likewise, Joseph could have dismissed his dream as simply that, a dream that had no basis in reality and no effect on his life. But instead, the two of them courageously accepted God's plan for them and played their part in God's great drama of salvation with grace and faith, even though it meant scandal and pain, and even though it meant being mom and dad to a child who would grow up to be their savior and ours. That they were able to do this is mute testimony to the promise that both of them received that God was with them.
they were not alone in this venture. And this is the message of Christmas for us as well. The babe that Mary birthed and nursed, the toddler whom she and Joseph watched over, the boy who learned along Joseph in his workshop, and the young man whom they guided through the trying teen years, is Emmanuel, God with us, with all of us. Thanks be to God for the example of an ordinary couple named Mary and Joseph. And thanks to God for the promise that is ours in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.